Welcome to Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson with Justin Spears and Ali Farhang on 1490 AM, 94.9 HD Channel 4, ESPN Tucson. Brought to you by Tucson Federal Credit Union and the Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. It's Monday mashup here on ESPN Tucson. Spears and Ali is presented by Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson, Tucson Federal Credit Union, and the Volpe team at Nova Home Loans. Our world-class little, producer, Andrew Trujillo, is back in the house. Little Foo Fighters, little little, little Disney Lion King opening. So I'm, I'm wondering, Andrew. Okay. How does a bloke like yourself... Here yeah. we go. <laughs> walk around Disneyland on a bum knee. You were So you, first of all, you, you had a great time at Disneyland. I did, yeah. All last week. It's the happiest place on earth and also the world capital for open mouth little kid coughs. <laughs> Oh, man. Those nasty ones. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Have you never been there before? I have. Yes. Was it a I haven't been there in like a decade. It's so. a, like a bacteria I, incubation yeah, dish. I was the open mouth kid coughing uh, the <laughs> last you? time I went. So what was the coolest thing? Like, the, Did you do the Millennium Falcon? Yeah. Right? How mm-hmm. was that? That was great, but uh, Rise of the Resistance is better. What is that? It is the, like I guess, flagship ride of that new area, and you... It, it's like a whole experience. I almost don't want to spoil it for people who want to like see it for the first time, but it's crazy. It is. So yeah. if you're going to Disneyland with your kids, is there a certain age limit that you would suggest for Rise of the Resistance ride? I, I think anyone would love it. I mean, probably not like you know little toddlers or anything, but like I'd say like six and up. Six and up. You okay. know, people who are capable of covering their mouths when they cough. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you one of those lame guys that got like a? You're like, a, I'm gonna get a scooter around Disneyland so that I can cut the lines. I was even lamer. We got a wheelchair for me. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. You know what? Okay. Yeah. I I was worried. I was like, I I think that's a little ill advised to go to Disneyland on a hurt knee. But you yeah. were you were rolling. Yeah. You're riding dirty mm-hmm. like a millionaire. Yep. Okay. I love it. And look, it I'm not time. trying to fat shame anybody, but like certainly. There's people of a certain size that get those things that the only reason they're doing it is because of their girth. And you probably could use some walking. I don't understand. <laughs> what are the prerequisites? What kind of identification do you have to use to get one of those scooters? Uh, you got to have four pictures of Andrew Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah. And eat a, uh, like, what, what is what was your lunch order yesterday? Yep, you qualify. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Super Bowl 57, big game last night between the Chiefs and the Eagles. And, you know, both teams, very similar pass here. They're both number one seeds, both score the same amount of points going into this game. Plus, uh, they had six All-Pros, one of them is a Kelsey brother and their quarterback as well. So these teams uh, matched up pretty well, but the key for me, Ali, and I emphasized it all week long, was the Philadelphia defense. And their ability to get to the quarterback. But maybe, or, just maybe. Or inability, inability as it turns out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, so the Chiefs did not get to the quarterback. Or the, excuse me, the Eagles did not get to the quarterback. They, they did not record a single sack. And I thought, man, they were with Mahomes hobbled, Philadelphia's defense playing as good as it has been, I think that this could be a repeat of the Tampa Bay Super Bowl. Yeah. I was a little skeptical about the Kansas City Chiefs. It, I'm not saying that the offensive line was absolutely terrible. This wasn't like the Cincinnati Bengals last year going up against the L.A. Rams and their stout defensive line. But I thought, man, the, the matchups, yes, they have Tooney, who's a, a really good guard. 
They have a really good center as well. Yeah. And but I was really concerned. Creed Humphrey's from Oklahoma. Humphrey. The Steelers should have drafted him. I love Pat Firemuth, but we should Creed Creed, Creed Humphrey should be the center. Really, I mean, for the Steelers. When you think about it, Jason Kelsey, Creed Humphreys, these are two of the some of the best centers in football right now. Yeah. And then Lane Jason John- Kelsey's going to retire. Well, he's got a podcast that he can work on. He's really, so I'm he's going to be very No, but I was I was looking just thinking about the matchups and the, the battle in the trenches to me on both sides of the ball favored just a little bit for the Philadelphia Eagles. But Kansas City on the defensive side of the ball found a way to make it work. They got to Jalen Hurts. They got a fumble, returned it for a touchdown, and that was in the second half and they were down by 10 at halftime and they needed a few things to go their way. They needed a little bit of luck, but they also needed to make plays at the right time. And Kansas City down the stretch made plays at the right time. I know the game, the officials, they had that questionable holding call, but it was a holding call. And even after the game, both sides of the ball say it was a holding call. So yeah. I don't want to hear anything about how that truly had an impact on the game when a few things before that had an impact on the game, like that turnover for a touchdown. Non-story, man. And Okay, so they kick a field goal, and Philadelphia's got a minute to go. Maybe they get it, maybe they don't. Who knows? But when a DB, of all people, James Bradbury for the Eagles, says, yeah, I held him, okay. And was it a hold? Yeah, it probably was. And does does it suck that it was called that time of the game? Yeah. Would it have been awesome to see what Jalen Hurts could do with a minute and a couple of timeouts? Absolutely. Yeah. But, man, Philadelphia's got no one to blame for themselves. I mean, at the when it was 27-21 in the third quarter, Philadelphia had run 60 plays to Kansas City's 30. Philadelphia had an almost 12-minute time of possession advantage, and so that kind of tells you why Patrick Mahomes only threw for about 190 yards. But to go to your point, Andy Reid, what's, this, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same result. He knew Philadelphia had a – Pretty, I mean, this is like a all-time record-breaking front four when it comes to sacks in a season. They're really good. What did Tampa Bay dare Kansas City to do that they just refused to do? Run the ball. Yesterday, credit to Kansas City, Andy Reid, that coaching staff. They learned from their mistake. They ran for 150 yards, 58 yards. Uh, Pacheco, I think, had like 79 yards. Yeah. Uh, they, they did a great job getting the ball out of Mahomes' uh, hand. They ran cornhole twice, which was the touchdowns to Sky Moore. And was it cornhole or corn dog? Corn dog. Okay. Corn dog, yeah. The play call is corn dog. Yeah. Got, I got to make sure I get it right. Yeah, no, no. Car, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, they, it's just brilliant offensive game planning with the motion and bringing the receiver in then out and the DB losing on both sides. Kansas City, they did get some breaks. The fumble recovery, one of the worst punts of all time by Philadelphia um, at the end there uh, to give Kansas City the ball and really good field position to get that field goal. But uh, ultimately, for a Super Bowl, that was a great game, and the best players performed the best. Jalen Hurst played great. Uh, uh, Andy uh, Patrick Mahomes played great. All the complimentary players on offense played great for both teams. Philadelphia's defense was neutralized, and you know what? You heard it from Kansas City's offensive line after the game. For two weeks, all we heard about was how Philadelphia's front four was yeah. going to wreak havoc on our wreak havoc on our quarterback. Yep. they took it personally. It does matter, and uh, Kansas City's offensive line did a great job. And running the ball, back to my point, Absolutely. certainly helped. You talk about the role players, Ali, and going into the season, the story was Kansas City. They're, they're going to be good. But are they the best team in the AFC West? Seems like everyone else around them got a little bit better. Do we trust them getting to the Super Bowl? No, the Buffalo Bills were the heavy favorites going into this year. So 
you know, people always kind of scoff at teams like the Kansas City Chiefs who've had so much success, ah. and they're like, they're like, oh, you you guys are the underdogs. You guys are the underdogs. Like, come on, that's a funny story. Like, why are you guys creating that kind of narrative? And it's kind of true this year. Nobody really thought that the Chiefs were going to be back at the Super Bowl. They all thought that they were capable of making the playoffs and putting something together, but not a lot of people had them going to the Super Bowl, especially after losing Tyreek Hill, one of the top receivers in football. And you look at the Super Bowl, and the role players, Pacheco, seventh-round pick by the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, You add in... Also my keeper for next year. (laughs) Val Scantling, recently with the Green Bay Packers, comes over. Does a pretty solid job with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, think your guy Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, happy for him. You know, getting a Super Bowl. Um, all the role players, the guys who really stepped in this past year after Tyreek Hill, they all had all had an impact. I mean, Kadarius Tony was a mid-season addition, and people were like, ah, that's he got hurt a lot. That, I mean, that's what, what's what's he going to do with the Kansas City Chiefs? And lo and behold, here he is in the Super Bowl, having the the punt return of his life, and making an impact for his team. So yeah. all the all the newbies for Kansas City. I know Patrick Mahomes is the guy who's getting the love and is the main story. Same with Travis Kelsey because he had a really big first half. Yeah. But the, all the new guys, the role players who stepped in to replace Tyreek Hill. They all had a major impact on that game. And Nick Bolton on defense for Kansas City, I think he had like 12 tackles, played a great game. Uh, yeah. Let me ask you two questions. Number one, what was with the man hug Roger Goodell gave to Chris Jones after the game? Like they were related. If you haven't seen it, you need to check it out. Really? It was Chris Jones picked him up like a, like his child. And <laughs> Goodell could not have been happier. It, if Goodell had made a million-dollar bet on Kansas City, I would not – doubt it the way he hugged chris jones after the game well, it was in the script yeah like ah oh, the script is intact thank you guys mm-hmm. and the other thing is i love the guy he's a great stealer great but terry bradshaw needs to retire um because <laughs> you know when the when the guy wins his second super bowl and uh has such a just uh people love him so much and it's, it's an offensive genius yeah when you tell him to waddle over here and come get the trophy <laughs> Disrespectful, man. So Especially from Terry, who's added a few LBs <laughs> since his playing days. So, Terry, come on, man. I mean, what are you doing? Do you guys notice that this is Philadelphia's third championship loss in 100 days? Yes. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? The, M- uh, the, MLS? The, the Phillies? Yeah. And M- the, yeah, the soccer. Wow. <clears throat> and so now we know that the Philadelphia 76ers are going to lose to the Boston (laughs) Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. You're next. Yeah. All right, let's go to our next guest here, Tyler Drake from Arizona Sports, joining us on this beautiful Monday afternoon. Tyler, man, you were up in Phoenix all weekend long covering the Super Bowl. You were at Phoenix, the Phoenix Open. How crazy was it in Phoenix from your perspective? (laughs) What's up? Yeah, it was – it was another level for sure. There was definitely a lot going on. Uh, you needed to know where you were going. You needed to know where to park. You needed to know a lot of the uh, the little things to get where you're going if you were really going to make a full day out of it. But, it, I mean, it, it definitely delivered on what I think everybody expected it to be. It was crazy in downtown Phoenix with just elbow-to-elbow NFL experience, all of that. And then you go up to Waste Management, and that was by far the biggest and and baddest I've ever seen it from covering it, from going to it myself. So it was definitely a week that a lot of people are going to remember. 
What's crazy about the the waste management Phoenix Open is everything. Besides the yeah, yeah. the streaker and <laughs> I showed you guys the videos, right? Bubbles, yeah. dancers, a guy dressed up in a Spider-Man costume. I, I'm just touching the surface right now. <laughs> but you had a streaker as well yeah. going out on the 16th hole and Max Savage. Uh, <laughs> Ricky Fowler, he had an ace, but it wasn't on 16. It was on seven. It was on the final day. But I was really just amazed by. How many people were there on the final day of the tournament, Tyler? Like, it's Sunday. People were all getting ready for Super Bowl, and yet there are still – there's thousands and thousands of people there. It truly shows how many people were there in Phoenix this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and you know, I really want to see how many people, if it was possible, how many people went to the tournament and then went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. That would be one heck of a day right there. And also, I was uh, I was one of the people standing in 16 getting the streaker when he came out. That was pretty wild. He uh, he went a long way, let me tell you. <laughs> hey. so, so give us a play-by-play. Like, what exactly happened? Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, yeah. So, we're, so I'm, sitting, I'm sitting where, you know, the general admission, all the rowdy people are. You know, they're stacking up uh, cup snakes and everything, and they're getting taken down by the police left and right. And then... You know, all of a sudden, you just kind of hear somebody go, oh, look. And then he just books it out of probably the middle of the middle of the hole and starts running towards the, the, the green and, you know, does all of his uh, antics and then jukes out a security guard and then books it through onto 17T, runs all the way down 17 fairway, jumps off into the water left of the 17th green, and then swims to the waste management logo in the middle of the pond and gets on top of that before he swims out and gets arrested. <laughs> oh, man. The most impressive thing was so the, the juke move on the security guy. He's breaking ankles. That yeah. Guy, yeah, he might have oh, a career yeah. in indoor football. He's got, or he's got some wiggle, as football coaches call it. Tyler, can you, do you – I am sure you know what the running of the bros is, but for our listeners, can you describe what that scene is at the Waste Management Open at 6 a.m. when the doors open? Yeah, it's, it's crazy, and, and it was so – I feel like it was pretty chilly this time too. So I mean, basically, it's everybody lines up. They get as close as they can possibly get to 17 and or 17, 16, and then they just open up the gates as soon as they let everybody go. And it's literally just a scramble to get any kind of seat on 16. And from there, they just sit there. And I mean, one of the funniest things is when they change the holes and they're getting all excited when they're moving the holes. So that's that's just that kind of tells you how rowdy it is at six o'clock in the morning. There's probably a lot of, uh, what, Baileys and coffee going around, I would say. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then uh, you fast forward to the Super Bowl, and it, obviously it was a great game itself. The Kansas City Chiefs edging the Philadelphia Eagles. What did you make of Super Bowl festivities and also the, the result of the game? Yeah, festivities-wise, it was crazy. I mean, uh, from opening night on Monday to just all of the different, you know, art unveilings and, and different festivities and stuff they had throughout the week, the NFL honors, which was, in my opinion, was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my career was just being able to work the red carpet. That was really cool, just kind of seeing all those stars at once. Uh, for the Super Bowl, I mean, it was awesome. I think outside of the uh, the end there, it was probably one of the mo- more exciting Super Bowls we've had. And, yeah, I wish the uh, wish it wasn't a defensive holding, but, I mean, sometimes that's just how it goes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with Travis Kelsey getting his second Super Bowl and the stats that he's put up, when you look at receiving yards, he's got more yards than a guy like Rob Gronkowski. But I also value blocking. And I think that Rob Gronkowski, man, he was a dominant 
blocker as much as he was a pass catcher. But with Travis Kelsey at this level right now, where do you put him maybe on the all-time greatest tight ends list? Oh, I, I think you've got to put him right there at the top. I think that's just that's kind of where it's trending. I think outside of him saying that nobody puts respect on the Chiefs, I think you've got to say he's probably the best, uh, one of the best tight ends to ever play the game. So, yeah, uh, I that's that's a hard one. That's I mean, I don't think there's anybody. I know it's you know recency bias, but at this point, off the top of my head, I would say he's number one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my takeaway from the game, Tyler, was it was a great game. And if these teams played 10 times, it would be 5-5. Five to five. And I think we got the best two teams in the NFL. Did you have the kind of same takeaway? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it was seated right. I think through all the things, I thought maybe San Francisco could have been a good, like, you know, the top team. But as soon as Purdy went down, you know, I think it was all, all hands was, were going towards, you know, Eagles are going to do it. So, yeah, it, it was, really was. It was the two best teams throughout the year, meeting at the end of the day. And I think that's really what you want to see as a football fan. I think outside of what I said with the defensive holding, it was exactly what everybody wanted to see. And it's, it was cool just to see, you know, Arizona Super Bowls. You know, they like to, like to be close ones. So we've got another one to, uh, add, to the, add to the book. Tyler Drake from Arizona Sports joining Spears and Ali on ESPN Tucson for a wild weekend in Phoenix and all the coverage there. Go to ArizonaSports.com and be sure to follow Tyler on Twitter as well. Tyler, always appreciate you. Thank you once again. And please recover after a pretty crazy weekend. <laughs> yeah, we will do. we will do. I'm on the road to recover as we speak. <laughs> I think Tyler's the only guy actually working in Phoenix today. As I say, stock up on Pedialyte, my <laughs> yeah, friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be a national holiday. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you, Tyler. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I agree, though. I, I think that the Monday after Super Bowl should be an observed holiday. And I had this thought when I was cleaning up after having people over for the Super Bowl last night. It was like 9 o'clock at night, and I'm like, oh, man, got to go to work tomorrow. You know, it is the this is today is the number one day of the year people call it sick. And I'm sure if you want to talk about really? these things. Oh, it is. I thought it was April 21st. Why? Okay, no. Cool. <laughs> it's the day after 420. Oh, yeah, no. They, no. That's National Drug <clears throat> Test Day. Yeah. Well, you combine all of that together? Because that, <laughs> that's also prevalent during the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, not at my parties, but I'm just saying I've heard from a friend. <laughs> I think that what's interesting is not only how many people went to waste management on Sunday then also went to the Super Bowl, how many people called in sick in the city of Phoenix today. And if the number is... Up around 50% would not be shocked. It's like, dang, Burger King had to close at 8. I don't have any night employees. They all took the night off. Yeah. Man. Now I'm going to have that song, Whopper, Whopper. Whopper. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. BK. All right. Let's get Corey Williams on. He was on call for the Arizona-Stanford game. He's going to tell us what he thought about the Wildcats' latest loss to the Cardinal. And uh, we'll discuss small ball lineups and if – Arizona played any small ball lineups under Lute Olson. Got Corey Williams joining Spears and Ali coming up next year on ESPN Radio. It's Monday mashup here on Spears and Ali, ESPN Tucson, 1490 AM, and the Spears and Ali podcast. Number four, well, now number eight, Arizona. They lost to Stanford 88-79 at Maples Pavilion this past weekend. It's the first time Arizona's lost at Maples Pavilion since Russ Pinnell was the interim head coach. So, it's been a long time since the Wildcats have lost to the Cardinal at Maples, and it was a, a little 
weird in how they lost. Stanford outscored the Wildcats 42-24 to in the paint. That never happens this season with the Arizona Wildcats, with Azulis Tubelis and Umar Balo. So how did Stanford get it done? Let's talk to a guy who was on the broadcast, our good friend, Corey Williams, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. Corey, thank you once again. Uh, but real quick, before we talk about the, the Stanford-Arizona game, what's your quick take on Super Bowl 57 and the outcome with the Chiefs winning it all? Oh, my God. I, I didn't have a horse in the race. I hated the pass interference call or the defensive holding. I thought that was trash. I thought the referee choked in the moment and called something because he didn't want it to be a repeat of what the Saints went through. Oh, um, there was there's just it, – it just didn't need to be called. I think overtime, extra football, nobody would have been opposed to that. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. You, you never blame it on one call. But I thought it was a great game. I thought Jalen Hurts was incredible. It, it felt like the two best teams left in the NFL. I think both teams deserve to be there. Um, you just think in a high-leverage moment like that, you got to let the players decide the game. And, I mean, there's a flagrant P.I., and then there's that kind of stuff within five yards that didn't affect the pass. The ball wasn't even catchable. Yeah. And I like Mahomes. I like Hurts. But, I mean, I'm you know, I do it in basketball. If I don't think the refs got it right, I'm the first person to say it. So uh, what are your Cowboys looking like next year before we go to basketball? We just don't run it back. You know, that's a phrase you probably won't be familiar with. When I played pickup ball and, you know, you had you played a game and you didn't want to make any changes, you just look at the other team and say, you want to run it back? And you just play again. And my Cowboys just going to run it back with a new offensive coordinator. You know, you don't set, you don't burn the house to the ground because it's still another 12-win season, but you just try to tweak it. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we all know Jerry Jones, he's not – going to sit there and, and try to rebuild because who knows how long that'll take and how much time he has. So his back's kind of against the wall. Absolutely. So maybe we'll be another 12-team, 12-win, 12-13-win season next year. I don't know. All right. Well, let, nothing, nothing surprises me when it comes to Dallas. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about basketball now, Corey. Um, you know, you were on the, the game broadcast on ESPN2 uh, with Arizona versus uh, Stanford, and you know, I got to say, I was uh, a little shocked by seeing Stanford outscoring Arizona 42 to 24. I know that Azulis Tabellas got into foul trouble, but I, I, I thought Stanford did a really good job, really playing physical against the Wildcats. What did you make of Arizona's latest setback? Well, it was one of those games where you know everything needed to go right for Stanford to be in the game, and for them to win the game, everything that had to go right and some. So you, you take Tabellis not being on the floor for extended periods of time. That affects the game in ways that you just really can't measure. A lot of those offensive rebounds and putbacks don't happen if Arizona's out there with the two-headed monster. Um, you know, the confidence that you get from extra possessions, the offensive rebounds, the layups that you get because there's no bigs out there, all those things factor into it. And I had sat Sanford several times, and I used to tell – Coach has, I said, you know, you got a team that's a really a head scratcher because when I watch you warm up, when I see your players, Sanford's as big and as talented as anybody in the league, but for some reason they just weren't able to put together some wins early in the season. And everybody on Stanford played the best game they played all season against Arizona, like to a man. And I've had Stanford several times this year, so I've seen them, 
but I've never saw them where all those players were playing at a high level, and that's what they did against Arizona. That plus the foul trouble and the fact that they shot the heck out of the ball. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that. That's pretty much the story. You know, speaking of that, Corey, I I can't recall a game where the opposing team hit so many shots right before the shot clock buzzer. And that's got to be so frustrating when you're playing defense for, you know, 34 seconds and they hit some sort of crazy shot at the end of the uh, shot clock. Is that ever anything that you ever experienced in your playing days? And how frustrating is that when your opponent's doing it? You, you play enough basketball and everybody experiences that. When it's somebody's night, when a team gets hot and it's their night, and it's just the double thing. It's one, you sit down and commit the defense for 25 to 30 seconds and you're supposed to get the payoff. What's the payoff? The steal, the rebound, you know, the, the, you know, the possession. You're supposed to get the defensive stop. And when you don't get the stop, it's a little bit upsetting. And then the ball goes through the rim and then the crowd gets loud and everybody drops their head a little bit. And now you got to go down and try to get those points back on offense. When that happens over and over and over and over again, you just get the feeling like we're never going to turn the corner. We can't ever string together a run because we keep taking the ball out of the basket. Like, they keep knocking them down. And everything that Stanford did was met with thunderous applause. Every buzzer beater that went in just kind of heightened the electricity in the building, and it's just more momentum for you to fight against. I've been in games like that, and you just, you know, you look at your teammates and you're like, guys, we got to battle through this. Um, there's got to be a light at the end of the tunnel. They can't keep shooting like this. And you keep saying that over and over, and then eventually the game's over, and you're like, wait a minute, they did keep shooting like that for the whole game. So it, it happens. It's it's lightning in a bottle. It's not something that happens multiple times. I think some of those Stanford players may – talk about that Arizona game for the next 25, 30 years, because it'll never be that again. Yeah. But it happened. So it was a great night for Stanford. I mean, they, they hit everything they threw up. Corey, late in that first half, we saw Arizona do something they haven't really done this year, and that's put out a small ball lineup. We saw Pella Larson and Cedric Henderson playing the four and the five, and Arizona went on a 13-0 run when they did that lineup change. So uh, what did you make of that? And when you were playing – did Lute Olsen ever have his version of a small ball lineup? That's excellent coaching on the ha- on the on the ha- on behalf of Tommy Lloyd to adjust to what the reality was. Um, you know, with the foul trouble, there are certain sets and certain looks you get when your bigs are out there. And going small is 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 just a strategy you do on the fly. It's not ideal, but you do whatever you have to do to uh, try to get your team a win. And given everything that was going on, Stanford's hot shooting and the, and the foul trouble, Arizona still was uh, it was a two-possession game with a couple minutes to go, and Arizona had a couple chances to make it a one-possession game because of moves like that. Um, it reminded me a lot of 94 when we didn't have Ed Stokes, we didn't have proven big men, and Coach Olsen rolled out the three-guard lineup for the first time ever. I mean, the Twin Towers, we were always known as an inside-out team, but in 1994, we were led by Khalid Reed, Damon Stoudemire, and Reggie Gary started at small forward. Yeah. So even with Ray O's, who was a very thin 6'9", and Joseph Blair, we were a small team. We were quick. We, were, we weren't the big Arizona team that we always used to be. Arizona was huge from the three, the four, and the five. I mean, you go back – Lute's first years, our small forward, power forward, and centers were all NBA builds. 
every year. So that reminds a little bit of a throwback, and there's some advantages to playing small, and obviously there's some disadvantages. But if I had to kind of equate it to something, it'd be that 94 team that I played on. Mm. Corey, even when Tabellis and Bala were in the game, it seemed like Arizona had a hard time getting the ball to them down low. Is that Was Stanford doing something differently defensively, or were they just being effective in what they were doing, or a little bit of both? Well, a little bit of both. There was a couple of things that happened. There was, there was something that happened that I did not like, and I don't like it, and I'll, I don't care if I'm on the air or talking with you guys. I will always say this. When you get a big man who's being guarded by a small guard, and that big man is holding that guard off and getting the ball to score, and the guard goes flying or the guard simulates some contact, the officials are rewarding that. And I thought Tabellis got whistled for an offensive foul that was not an offensive foul. That guy was just little, and he had no business being down there. He was about to get scored on. A couple plays later, Balo gets – the guy wraps up Balo. They call that. They called a foul on the Stanford seven-footer. Same situation. He had a high-low. He's holding the player off with the arm, and they're throwing it into him. And they whistled him for an offensive foul. I hate that call. Yeah. If you're small and you get pinned in the paint with a big man, it's just a wrap. I don't think you should be calling offensive fouls because one guy's tiny and the other guy's seven feet tall and his elbow is in the guy's neck. That's naturally where his elbow is going to be on a shorter player. But they whistled those fouls, and what it did was it broke up Arizona's high and low, which has been their bread and butter offensively all season. So when you start – when you're a big man and you have to be tentative and be passive and you can't be aggressive because you're so scared about picking up fouls, it changed everything. But to be honest, the referees called that ticky-tack nonsense both ways, and so nobody was really playing beast ball in the paint. It was a lot of people hitting a lot of jump shots. Corey, before we let you go, uh, last week was also a very uh, wild sequence in the NBA trade deadline realm, and uh, when you think about all the, the teams who've gotten better in the Western Conference, what jumps out to you when you think about the trade deadline? Man, you know, the Suns are really the only team that got better. I mean, you've got so many talented players. They don't have the depth they had. But did anybody in the West realign anything beyond besides Phoenix? Obviously not. Phoenix put together a team that can win on anybody's court. And I think when you talk about the playoffs, you want to steal one so you get home court advantage. The Phoenix Suns, in my opinion, are the only team in the West who know they can win on anybody's floor. Nobody else got that that did anything great. I think Kyrie to the Mavs, okay, Luka dribbled 18 times before he shoots. Kyrie dribbled 16 times before he shoots. Uh, you're not going to beat anybody. Yeah. I mean, you are who you are. And what you gave away to get them, I don't understand that. So I think the Suns got better in the in the West. Um, Giannis and the Celtics will be that'll be the matchup that I'm looking to see I'd be really surprised if the Suns don't come out of the West um, no disrespect to Golden State but they're old the Grizzlies are immature I'm not really feeling anybody else um, to be honest with you and you know Giannis is just He's Giannis. Yeah. He's going to do what he does. So I think, you know, Boston and, and the Milwaukee are on a collision course, Eastern Conference Finals. And I think the Suns can find a way to uh, to get there themselves. It's the last run for Chris Paul, so he, he better dig deep and, and try to, you know, load manage and figure out a way where he can be ready for the finals. And 
and try to finish this year. Yeah. Don't sleep on the Lakers, Corey. <laughs> Don't sleep on the Lakers. Man, you know, <laughs> let me tell you something with your little Laker nation, okay? <laughs> the only thing that was going to happen for the Lakers already happened. LeBron passed Kareem. That's the only highlight the Laker fans have to look forward to. All of that other stuff, <laughs> it's not – are the Lakers even over 500? No, they're no. not. Listen, man, I'm a Laker guy. I've always been a Laker fan. But my man over here, he's talking about he can't wait for Mo Bamba. And I'm just looking at him I'm like, what are you talking about? Mo Bamba <laughs> and D'Angelo Russell, baby. See, I, I'm a realistic Cowboys fan. I look at the games that the Cowboys lost, and I know that's what we could be. Justin, it seems like you're a delusional Laker fan, and you just want to see the Lake, the purple and gold, be victorious under any circumstances. Lineups matter. Facts matter. Mo Bamba is not a difference maker. He's not. So you got to be realistic about your boys. And, 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 and if we could backtrack to Arizona basketball for a minute, if you look at the losses that Arizona has, Utah, Oregon, Washington State, and Stanford, yeah. None of those teams are making the tournament. Yeah. So as a Wildcat fan, you can be glass half full all you want, but people know, okay, this team can be got. They still got an outstanding record. They're still one of the best teams in the country, but I believe everybody knows they have to bring it from the opening bell and establish and, and dominate because they can be had by lesser opponents. They've proven that four times already this season. So who is Arizona? Are they the team we know they can be, the team that dominated in Maui? You know, the team yeah. that had the gutsy win against the, the Bruins? Or are they the team that got popped at Utah and got embarrassed at home against the Cougars and, and let the threes ring out against Stanford? I mean, there's not time for panicking or soul-searching, but you can't ignore who they've lost to. That's an Absolutely. issue. Absolutely. For me, at least. Corey Williams, ESPN college basketball analyst, joining Spears and Ali on ESPN Radio. And Mr. Practical. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Practical. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, hey. yeah. Sorry, Corey. Uh, my dog ate my homework, by the way. I was supposed to give you that report on New Jack City, but uh, my dog ate my oh, homework. Oh, so, you are. Man, I, I, you are slacking. I, I know. I know. I know. I know. Let it be Sorry, said Corey. today on February 13th, 2023, Justin was forever known as Pookie. <laughs> there it is. From this day on, the day before Valentine's Day is Justin Spears' Pookie Day. Pookie Day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Corey. Always appreciate you. Yes, sir, brother. Take Thank you. <laughs> All right. Don't go anywhere. More Spears and Valley coming up next. Never forget. Happy Justin Pookie Day <laughs> on Spears and Ali. Uh, happy Pookie Day. <laughs> happy Pookie Day. From New Jack City, because oh. I didn't watch it. You got to. And I man. need to watch it. You do. Corey Williams was. Boiler Room. New Jack City Boiler Room. Don't adding it to the list. Yeah. So, Ali, Patrick Mahomes last night at halftime was hobbling off the field. And normally he has kind of like this old man hobble. Like d Defenders have said, don't let that old man hobble fool you. The dude has some wheels. He can run it when he wants to. Walter Payton used to do that. He used to get up real slow and pretend he was injured, and guys hoped the, the defenders would relax, and then he'd be like, no, I'm good, you know, and then run it for 80. <laughs> but Patrick Mahomes, man, he had more Tordol inject into his ankle yesterday than a Bob Baffert horse. I mean, <laughs> that guy was feeling no pain second half. <laughs> he was feeling good. Yeah. Feeling really good. They were down by 10. He was 
hobbling off the field more than usual, and you thought, "Uh uh-oh, it's over with. It's over with. Yeah, the Eagles' defense isn't smothering Kansas City like we thought they would, but Patrick Mahomes is hobbled. The Eagles, Jalen Hurts in that offense is playing really well right now. I think it's going to be the Eagles' day. And you felt like, man, they were already starting to grease up the poles in downtown Phoenix and in Philadelphia. And then Patrick Mahomes said, not so fast. And others, too. Like, we we talk about Patrick Mahomes and his trajectory being the greatest of all time because he's 27 years old. He's been to five straight conference championships. He's won two Super Bowls, has been to three of them. Like, the the rate that Patrick Mahomes is at right now, I think he could get to, to Brady's status. Oh, take it easy, buddy. We'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there because seven Super Bowls is ridiculous. He's yeah. got two right now. I'm not saying he's going to win seven Super Bowls, but I think he's got a few more Super Bowls left in him, Getting winning him. Getting there, I think he's going to play in a lot of them. But winning them, especially if he's got Andy Reid as his coach, and I think Andy Reid has gotten kind of like this new – life with Patrick Mahomes because Andy Reid's been coaching for a long time and we wondered is Andy Reid eventually going to retire maybe pass off the reins to Eric Bieniemy, but I think Andy Reid's going to be sticking around for a few more few more years because he's like why would I leave I have the greatest quarterback arguably of all time possibly when it's all said and done I mean he does a lot of things that not many quarterbacks can do now and in years past Patrick Mahomes is a very special quarterback and even when he's injured he still finds a way to make that play down the stretch. There's a. There's, I know they ran the ball well, but Patrick Mahomes was solid. Man, everything you said about Patrick Mahomes is right. He's great. I love him. I wish the Steelers would have traded up because uh, they loved him too. They were gonna. They're looking to draft him. Um, but you you got to consider the ultimate equalizer in the NFL is a salary cap, and both the Eagles and the Chiefs have the same issues. Jalen Hurts is gonna have to get paid in this offseason. They've got like 14 free agents. Uh, some of them really good players like Javon Hargrave and uh, uh, one of their DBs, uh, Gardner Gardner Johnson. Yeah. Um, and then on Kansas City side, Chris Jones and Patrick Mahomes next year make up 23% of Kansas City's salary cap. Wow. That's almost a quarter of their salary cap. So while I hear you, when you when you had to pay a quarterback, it really your scouting department and who you bring in in the draft and your younger guys really are important. So, you, look, you're always starting from a good place when you got a Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you're starting from a great place. But, you know, some of those uh, uh, complementary pieces are going to price themselves out of both Kansas City and Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and it's going to take that front office for both teams to surround those guys with other good players so they can make another run. We're wait. I think Patrick Mahomes right now is a Hall of Famer. He's got two Super Bowl wins out of three. I think he's one of the all-time great quarterbacks, even in the short time he's been in the NFL. But to compare him to Tom Brady at this point is very, very premature. I'd say he's, he he could get there. Yeah, I mean, does he have a supermodel wife yet? But uh, no, but he's no, he's, he's got an annoying he's, wife actually. Yeah, but her her and his brother <clears throat> just very annoying people. I love the interaction between Patrick Mahomes and his dad after the game. I thought it was uh, cool, too. It was very cool. You know, his dad just be like, you know, they made you different. You're special, son, and I love you to death. And that was that was a great moment. And that, that's the best part of I mean, sports brings so many great things. You know, people from different backgrounds working together, putting aside whatever your beliefs are for a common goal, all the camaraderie in the locker room. I mean, that's the number one thing guys that retire talk about is how much they miss the other fellows in the locker room and, and that and that team camaraderie. 
and then you know just the emotions of you know the act the 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 joy of victory and the agony of defeat like in the old days i think it was uh bill mckay and wide world wide world of sports kind of played that sports is the best man it's the most galvanate galvanizing thing that we have in our society and um we were treated yesterday to just a great Super Bowl with two really good teams. And if those teams played 10 times, I'm very certain Philadelphia would win five of them. Just a couple of plays here and there, and we'd be talking about the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. And no matter who you were going for, we all agreed that 2B TV sucks. <laughs> well, you're, you're that talking. That damn commercial, man. You're talking about 2B TV, I, I, so they, mission accomplished for them. I Everyone stood up. We are like, all right, who's got the remote? Who's got the remote? And then it just kept playing out and like oh wait they mind ninja'd you commercial wow brilliant right it was a brilliant commercial for what they're trying to achieve it was well done by 2b tv which i will not be uh using but good job <laughs> by you and somebody asked me who are you going for justin i said the over i'm not going for the eagles i'm not going for the chiefs the over. i'm going for the over Great and call. the over hit and by the far. and the over because we did a uh, prop bets too the over for the national anthem was 201.5 it went under, and it was right? no, it was over. It was. Yeah. I thought it went under. No, it depends on what how, what yeah. number you use. I know some people did like two hundred four point five, two hundred five point five. Obviously, the under hit, but it was like two hundred three. I thought I right with, people, with vocals. Most people were going with two hundred one nine nine. Mm. It was close. Yeah. And the Chris Stapleton was really dragging it out. On though. the coin flip, it was tails one, I believe, and the yeah. color of the Gatorade was purple. Was it purple or was huh. it clear? I thought it was purple. Purple one. Yeah, oh, pretty man. sure. Okay. I did not bet on either of those. The bets I did really good yesterday. Kansas City plus three and a half. Jalen Hurts to run for over uh, 40 yards. And I bet for Mahomes to run for over 15 yards because I thought his ankle would be better. All great. And, man, <laughs> when, and then I bet on first touchdown scorer, Jalen Hurts. And when Gainwell scored that touchdown, I'm like, man, you got to be kidding <laughs> me. And then the replay showed his elbow going down. And I'm like, Nick Sirianni, coach of the Eagles. Run that quarterback's knee, baby. <laughs> sure enough. Cha-ching. <laughs> we were treated to a great game. Chris Stapleton did an awesome job in the national anthem. Rihanna was brilliant in the halftime show. Her special guest happened to be her baby in her belly. Good job, Rihanna. I just, I had a great day. It was, it was an awesome, it was an awesome Super Bowl Sunday. Absolutely. And today and should be an observed holiday. Too. Yeah. Now we all need to go on diets. Yeah. We we ate good yesterday. You ate good I, yesterday. I'm sweating off this carne asada right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> That's for damn sure. When you get carne asada from a place that has a Spanish word, I think you got it from El Toro. Yeah, El Toro's yeah. the name. Dude. Out there at Rita Ranch. The carne asada. Stuff. Yeah. Well done. Six well pounds. Well done, Mrs. Spears. Six pounds of it. It was so good. <laughs> All by yourself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Don't judge me. All right, coming up next on ESPN Tucson, we're going to wrap up hour number two. And it's the last hour, quite frankly. We have a two-hour show because we got college basketball coming your way here on ESPN Radio. Over this past weekend, I watched the Baltimore Ravens 30 for 30 called The Bullies from Baltimore. And talks about that great season by Baltimore when they won the Super Bowl. I didn't know the the coaching staff under Brian Billick. I didn't know Marvin Lewis was oh, the yeah. defensive coordinator. Jack Del Rio was the linebackers coach. Yeah. You got three head coaches on your staff right just right there, man. It was absolutely incredible coaching staff. They had Ray Lewis, uh Tony Siragusa, 
Uh, former Arizona Wildcat Chris McAllister was on that team too. Terrell Suggs. Uh, no, Terrell Suggs was not on he that was team. Not there yet? No, not uh, there yet. Ed Reed. Um, Got to mention Ed Reed on that defense. He was definitely there. Just don't even look up. Don't don't wonder if he was on that team. He was on that team. Uh, was he? Yeah. I didn't see him in the documentary though. Well. I think he was uh, with those Miami Hurricanes teams. Those won championships then. Are you sure? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you because he wasn't in the documentary. Hmm. Uh, so they, but regardless, that defense that year they won the Super Bowl in 2000. They gave up an average of 10 points per game. So defense was incredible. Uh, Trent Dilfer, as we all know, is probably the worst quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. Has more interceptions than touchdowns. And he was a rookie NFL in 2002. Career. Yeah, see, he wasn't on that team. No, I stand corrected. Yeah. Um, so even without Terrell Suggs, <laughs> Terrell Suggs at Reed, it was still like an historic defense. But the one thing that I took away from that was what Trent Dilfer had to say about quarterbacks and comparing them in the, the different generations of quarterbacks. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, he came Come out on a little now. strong. Yeah. I think it is impressive. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. He and... name dropped too. But uh, to say that the quarterback is not more protected now and that offenses are a lot more free to operate is, is a fair assessment. And we're talking about the holding call at the end of that game. Yes. That would not have been called 10 years ago. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you sneeze on the quarterback, you get a 15-yard penalty. I'm, I'm sorry. Trent Dilfer had a very strong arm, and he displayed it all the time when he overthrew every receiver that he ever threw to. <laughs> but he's not hes not necessarily wrong. Like There was a, a time where the Ravens would have 10 points, and it would be late in the fourth quarter, and they would have the lead. Yeah, their defense the the awesome. defense carried them. And uh, Shannon Sharp said so many times that, the defense was obviously the main driving force of that team. Easily. We we did not hold up our end of the bargain several times that season. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl in 2021 with the Baltimore Ravens, who won over the New York Giants. Yeah. And the next year they got rid of him for Elvis Gerbach. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trent Dilfer was not the best quarterback. But I do think he's a very astute football mind. I do like listening to him, like talk to Ryan Rossillo on the podcast. If you're a football nerd... He's got he's very he's got he's he's a very smart football guy and he, he's now the head coach of the University of Alabama Birmingham and Dilfer's Dimes. What he said was not wrong. It was wrong. Yeah. All right, that is it for this episode of Spears and Ali. North Spears Carolina, Miami coming up next. Calls basketball.